what would you like in your politicians? Would you like me to have a law degree? Like why? I have life experience. I watched a treasure of my, of my childhood, which was the, the Columbia Gorge burned to the ground. And I had to breathe smoke for years because all of a sudden September was the month where there was just wildfires everywhere. Like that didn't exist when I was a kid. That's life experience that I care about and that's what I want to change. So why do I need a law degree to, to do that? Hello and welcome to Planet Critical, the podcast for a world in crisis. My name is Rachel Donald. I'm a climate corruption journalist and your host. Every week I interview experts who are battling to save our planet. My guests are scientists, politicians, academics, journalists and activists. They explain the complexities of the energy, economic, political and cultural crises we face today, revealing what's really going on and what they think needs to be done. These are the stories of the big picture. Go to planetcritical.com to learn more and subscribe. My guest today is Chetan Inman. Chetan is a candidate for the governor of Washington and is running on a very simple platform. We cannot continue as we are. We must protect the planet. And doing so could provide a better quality of life for everyone. Chayton is currently a computer science student at the University of Washington and will be graduating this summer. Whilst there, he founded the university's first undergraduate research group called the Interactive Intelligence Team. They apply neuroscience approaches to machine learning to create intelligent machines. Thanks to that initiative, he is now a cybersecurity research fellow at the university. Chetan joined me to discuss why he's running for governor and what his main policies will be. He says that his priority is ensuring that the Pacific Northwest will still have rain, trees, food and water for the future. To do that, he says we have to change the conversation. We cannot consume our way out of an overconsumption problem. What Chaitin brings to the table as a candidate is really shifting the Overton window of what is possible because his number one policy is enshrining the rights of nature into the Constitution of Washington. This means opening people and companies up to legal action if they abuse, exploit or extract too much of the earth. It means redefining our relationship to the earth, re-embedding our citizenship within our natural ecosystem. It means prioritizing how we choose to spend our energy and our money to become stewards of what we call home. Chetan walks me through that policy in detail and also discusses bringing an income tax to the state and providing small farmers with subsidies so that they can trade directly with community members rather than supermarket chains. It is so heartwarming to see somebody running on a political platform that understands why the world is in crisis, that understands that we need to change the conversation if we're going to survive the crisis, and particularly to see it coming from somebody so young. I think Chetan's age is a real gift. It is young people who will have to live with the decisions made today. And given their elders have totally failed to make decisions that reflect that very simple fact, why shouldn't they demand a seat at the table? In many ways, it's truly heartbreaking to see how many young people are having to take to the streets or do things like this. Because as Chetan says, it's not that he wants to run for governor. It's that he has to. We should have a society of elders that looks after their young. We should have a society of elders that knows how to lead. We should have a society of elders that can use all of their life experience to seed their imagination with possibilities for the future. We should have a society of elders who knows when it's time to move on. And in that society, it should be young people who are idealists, not burdened with being realists. Because in our society today, we are led by no one and run by idiots and ideologues. 
This crisis demands leadership. It may come from surprising places. I hope you all enjoy the episode. If you do, please share it far and wide. And if you're loving the show, support Planet Critical with a paid subscription at planetcritical.com. By signing up, you'll get the Planet Critical newsletter inspired by each episode delivered straight to your inbox every week. You'll also have access to the wonderful Planet Critical community who are full of inspiring thoughts, ideas, critiques, and determination. I'm so grateful to everyone who chooses to support the project. I'm a vehement believer in ad-free and open access content, so Planet Critical wouldn't exist without the direct support of the amazing community. Thank you so much to all of you who believe in Planet Critical and keep the project going every week. Chaitin, thank you very much for joining me on Planet Critical. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Now you get the same first question as everyone else. Why is the world in crisis? Okay. In one word, I would say globalization. I wouldn't say that this is the cause of all problems, but I would say it is at least the cause of many and enabling almost all. So you can pick your crisis mm -hmm. that could be financial, it could be biodiversity, it could be pollution, it could be climate change. And I think that globalization is kind of a driving force there. One of the, the main reasons for this is just because globalization allows us to distance ourselves from the effects of our actions. And that in itself allows us to pollute um, and not care about that consequence. It, it allows multinational corporations to concentrate power because they can't be regulated. It forces countries that want to participate in, in development to have to buy into our globalized capitalist model. And that in itself is a model that's based on a false principle of infinite growth. And it, in that way, forces those countries to participate in exploitation of their own resources and their own people often. Yeah, I mean, I think you pretty much summed it up. Um, although there's one word I would like to examine there. Uh, you said our model. Whose mm. model? So I don't get really a choice in whether this is my model or not. I have to make enough money to eat. I live in Seattle um, and the world is organized around capitalism and it's organized <clears throat> around burning fossil fuels. Um, there are bike lanes here, but if you live here, you know that they suck and they disappear sometimes. And then there's train tracks and then you crash. But that's a different story. I don't place the burden of, of choosing an economic model on most everyday people because we're all born into, I mean, from my perspective, like I was born into this and I never, I haven't had the option to say like, nope, that's not the one I want. So at the same time, the arguments about like people that care about climate change being hypocrites and like, look, you own a car. It's like, that's not a valid argument. There is no alternative for that person. Is it our model? Like, is, has it been chosen by the people per se? No, it's mostly chosen by companies that, that are able to perpetuate their own power. It's their model, but we're in it. So. Sure. So I think <laughs> I always pick uh, people up on the, the Royal we, cause I feel like a lot gets hidden mm. in that Royal we, um, mm. So, I mean, I think we could say, you know, like global north, like what we're talking about here is system dynamics. So like this economic model comes from the global north, but it doesn't come from everyone in the global north, exactly as you're saying. It comes from actually probably not even anybody alive today, 
right? It's like built on thousands of years of feudalism, which, you know, became capitalism, which became neoliberalism, and now here we are. I think it's really important to allow for that nuance of like, separating as you have done that there are people that have much more agency in this system to affect change than others and the everyday person who's trying to use those bike lanes in seattle out of some goodness in their heart is doing the right thing but on a very limited scale because they're not empowered because well this system wouldn't function if everybody was empowered that's part of the the deal right yeah for sure yeah and your point about you know i was mostly focusing on people in the in the global north who who may not agree with this system but also the global south it's you know there's entire countries that are having debates about whether or not to drill more oil in their mm -hmm. in their country there's entire countries that have been forced into an economic deal with the devil that they mm -hmm. they may not have many people do not support at all yeah totally uh, many countries but many many people across the world. I mean, it's like, I think it's a class issue, right? That there is sort of um, system dynamics and those system dynamics create a system in which the people choose the path of least resistance and those who are born or networked with more resources can choose a path of least resistance, which uh, like brings them to more reward and the system then rewards them for that. And so it like quite naturally generates a society in which we are being led by people who are fundamentally not leaders because they're always choosing the path of least resistance to just perpetuate what already exists. Whereas a leader is somebody that you can turn to in a time of crisis or who dares have a vision or use their imagination to think, okay, this is how the world is. How can it be better? How can it be more exciting? How can it be more fair, just equitable? So a leader is somebody that people will turn to and look to, which I think brings us very nicely on to why you have come to speak with me today. So you are running for governor of Washington state. Tell me all Correct. about that. <laughs> I recently visited Australia and realized that many people do not know where Washington state is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's in the top <laughs> left of the continental United States. Washington is kind of a unique place. Um, it's progressive, but it's also full of some of the biggest companies in the world. In my view, it's completely ensnared in a solution to our problems, which is a lie, which is predicated on infinite growth, which is a logical fallacy. It makes no sense and it will not it will not lead to any actual solutions. So our, our current governor is Jay Inslee, and he seems like well-meaning enough. He he is pretty hard line on going to net zero by 2050 and lots of popular climate change policies, but rhetoric. Yeah. Rhetoric. <laughs> and we, Washington does for, for all his words, like Washington does have a, a cap and trade tax on carbon. We're progressive and we want to do something about the, the environmental destruction that we see, but we're also getting misled by the corporations that we have chosen to support in our state and the current candidates for governor either don't see this or they choose to ignore it. Um, and I would like to start a different conversation. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're graduating university in later this year, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So you, you're going to be fresh off of campus <laughs> and aiming for this pretty big political position. 
Um, some people, probably not very many people listening to this show, admittedly, but some people would say, hey, kid, how do you have the gall to do that? Don't you need to go out and get a little bit of life experience first? Um, so beyond opening up the conversation, why are you making such a big move at such a young age? Thank you for asking that. I also <laughs> hate that question um, because it's just, what would you like in your politicians? Would you like me to have a law degree? Like, why? <laughs> would you like me to be practiced in defending any argument, no matter whether I believe it or not? Like, I don't think that that's especially valuable. I have life experience. I watched a treasure of my of my childhood, which was the, the Columbia Gorge, burn to the ground. And I had to breathe smoke for years because all of a sudden September was the month where there was just wildfires everywhere. Like that didn't exist when I was a kid. That's life experience that I care about and that's what I want to change. So why do I need a law degree to, to do that? I don't want to be a politician. I, I'm terrible at, at talking about myself, talking in front of people, but I looked around and I was like, we're going to build a bunch of wind turbines in Washington state and we have no plan to recycle them. We have no plan for how we're going to get the minerals needed, like neodymium for the turbines in a way that doesn't exploit people around the world. We have no plan for doing an environmental transition that actually solves the problem or that is just and doesn't exploit people. So it's just, it was so frustrating that I was like, I don't know, nobody else is doing it and I got nothing to lose. So I don't want to be a career politician. I want to just not have to breathe smoke in September. I think you can kind of like get through life with two questions. Um, one is why? It's a very important question. And the second one is, why not? Um, so I think it's a totally valid response to say, you're not seeing the kind of politics in the world that you want to. And so you're going to do it even if you actually don't particularly want to. I really respect that, Chaitin. Really, really respect that. So let's go on to some of these policies um, or ideas that you would want to bring to Seattle. Um, because just listening to you, it's clear that you are very au fait with systems change, with the energy transition, the reality of the situation that we're in today. So what's what are the first things that you would do as governor? If nothing else, my main goal is to push for people to enshrine rights of the earth in the mm -hmm. Washington Constitution, which has been done by other countries like Ecuador. Um, it's been done on some native in tribes in America. A lot of the policies that Jay Inslee does support, I also support, like the cap and trade um, tax. But I feel like it's really missing the big picture, which is that we just can't outconsume a problem of overconsumption. Like mm -hmm. we use too much energy. Washington is pretty lucky. We get to have 66% of our power um, come from hydropower. That in itself is not a perfect solution. It's not a perfect um, energy source. It has destroyed a lot of indigenous livelihoods. The main policies that I disagree with Jay Inslee about are when he says something like, we're going to get to net zero by 2050 and continue to grow our economy in Washington state through the clean tech sector. Growing the economy, growing GDP is typically tightly coupled with energy, increasing energy consumption. And unless we're going to build more dams, which we've kind of already maxed out on, that means building some kind of new energy sources. And all of those come with a price. A better solution is to look at the existing abundance of resources that we have and use them more wisely. We definitely have room to build renewables and some sources of energy that are cleaner. 
and this would increase the amount of energy that we would be able to consume. But the problem is that this is all wrapped in the narrative of we're going to do this forever, infinitely, because if the economy ever stops growing for one second, the world will melt down. The companies that have power will no longer have power. And that is, to their eyes, a catastrophe. We have solutions. We have enough resources. We, we don't need to buy into the, the lives of infinite growth that that is really dominated by our investment in the companies that are here rather than the people. A company has rights. Um, why? I have no idea. <laughs> why do we treat a company like an individual? Whatever. It, but it has rights and you can't, you can sue it. Um, you can't just like steal money from a company. In the same sense, like that seems like an arbitrary decision to me, but the even more confounding factor is why doesn't the earth have rights? Why doesn't the earth have a right to an ecosystem that can maintain its complexity and its capability to support life? I actually know the story of why companies have rights, if you would like to hear it. Oh, please it. tell me. Yeah. Yes, I would. It's yes. wild. Now, I'm not very good at remembering uh, very clear facts. Um, so if anybody's listening and I get like a little bit wrong, it's okay, everybody chill out. I've got the gist, okay? So the gist is in the United States, um, there was some railroad guy that wanted to log a forest, like destroy a forest to, to continue his, you know, railroad essentially. And the state, maybe the governor, were like, nah, you can't, you can't go through that forest, sorry. Um, and so he took it to a court. And he went to the court and he argued um, that his company should be given the same rights as an individual, because if an individual wanted to log that forest, that would be fine. That would be on, you know, the citizen of that state or whatever, but because it was in the name of a company, it wasn't. So he went and he argued. Anyway, the, <laughs> the judge declined. The judge said no, ruled no, you are not allowed to identify a company as an individual and give it the same rights to destroy this forest. However, the clerk in charge of the case noted it down as a yes. So in the legal ruling, the person got that right, even though it was there. And we don't know why the clerk did that. And we don't know how it wasn't then picked up. But that is the story that I have heard. Um, that the legal process was actually very effective <laughs> in many ways. Uh, but then some little shit stirrer with a quill was like, nah, go on, let's see what happens. <laughs> and so it was written. God. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so it was written. Um, if anybody actually knows, <laughs> if anybody can confirm or deny that story in the comments, <laughs> that would be great. But yeah. Um, which just goes to show, right, doesn't it? Like the impact of that, say that that is true. And I've heard it on, from multiple sources, that story. The impact that that decision has had on the world as we know it today, exactly as you say, this idea that like we cannot touch company structures or company profits, so they have to be protected to the same level as human life, let alone the more than human world upon which we depend for our survival. It's ludicrous. I mean, is this something as well that you would think to to challenge? Not just give the, you know, the earth or the land of Seattle, like nature, enshrine nature's rights, but maybe challenge as well corporations' rights? Um, or maybe 2028. Yeah. In, um, Caden is dictator for a day land, yes. Um, in the real world, I would get destroyed 
by legal fees or the state of Washington would get destroyed by legal fees. I do want to pursue the earth rights a little bit more because the reason that I feel that this is fundamental is because if you think it through, if you think through, okay, suddenly every ecosystem has a right to maintain the amount of complex life that it can support. And then you look at the companies that we are enabling and hosting in, in Washington, and suddenly those companies are going to look very, very different in terms of of how they have to behave and how they have to conduct themselves. So for example, Washington is a huge port. So we import um, a lot of goods from China. We also export a little bit, but we import a lot. Suddenly all of that shipping and all of that polluting that might be destroying a marine ecosystem or in general, the atmosphere, all of the mining that has to be done to manufacture a cell phone, the rare earth metals, et cetera, that has to be accounted for. So it's... A drastic shift of the way that we view sustainability, it shifts that viewpoint into something that is much more comprehensive and you have to account for all of the environmental damage. And it's not narrow just saying like, all right, all right, the problem is climate change. Let's just burn less fossil fuels because that's not the only problem. They're all connected. I think that is absolutely fundamentally critical. And I think that even though it's kind of like still, you know, current paradigm, like, you know, the importance of a constitution, like, you know, words that are written down on paper and all that kind of stuff, really inking our relationship to nature, our relationship to the earth, our relationship to one another and giving it rights and giving, like essentially presenting our obligation to it, I think is really, really beautiful and so important. And I think, um, if anything like that, that alone is such an important um, policy to, to run on Chaitin. And my God, I hope it happens all around the world. Um, and I think we can see how powerful it is by the fact that in many countries, well, in places where they are attempting, people are attempting to do that, the pushback from powers that be to try and stop that happening really reveals just how effective it is. I'm thinking of um, Chile, where, you know, the piece of uh, legislation, like the entirely new constitution that they drafted was heralded as sort of the most amazing piece of environmental legislation ever written. And then um, there was a concerted effort by the right wing across uh, the entire world. Everybody from The Economist to The Washington Post decided to run a hit piece on this constitution um, a couple of weeks out before the post, uh, before the vote. And it failed, unfortunately. But it was amazing. And to think of what could have happened if it came through. Yeah, the, the pushback that certain policies get is, is a good litmus test of how much is it going to change the system that is exploiting the world? Because mm -hmm. they don't want it to change. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Do you have any other top policies that you want to get into? Yeah, so I think that Washington should, can and should implement an income tax. It would, there would be massive pushback because there's so much power concentrated in the state through the billionaires that live here uh, and really don't want that. Jeff Bezos recently moved to Texas, or moved his state residency to Texas to avoid the, the income taxes that we're trying to levy on the ultra-rich. But I think that we should should ignore that and continue anyway because... I don't really care if Jeff Bezos moves to Texas. He can go launch his rockets over there. Good riddance, Jeff. Um, 
Yeah, totally. I agree with you. Um, all right. Okay. And what else do we have? What other uh, top headline policies? The second most important thing to me is really um, agriculture. I'm going to talk to the technologists of Seattle, the computer scientists, all the people that are coming here to work at Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, all of the headquarters here, you know, and they do care about the environment. I've met so many of you. You studied computer science. You studied whatever it is, um, electrical engineering, and now you have to go get a job. And you're also a part of the system. What can you do? And if you think about it from that perspective, from from which is kind of a uniquely Washington, Seattle perspective, but it is a very powerful force in our state. And the the way that you can get out of this system is by grow your own food. If you can grow your own food, if you can have access to basic resources that you know were sustainably made, it might be a community garden, it might be volunteering at an organic farm nearby, which of which there are many. That's, that's independence. That's you're, you're no longer hooked on the system that is, you know, Walmart importing apples from a country halfway around the globe. When we grow apples in Washington and export them, you no longer rely on the forces that need your consumption to exist. So that's food sovereignty and that eliminating those subsidies for industrialized agriculture making it easier for farmers to sell direct to consumer, which California is an example of a state that does a pretty good job of that. So in Seattle, we do have a lot of farmers markets, but um, also a lot of our growers are in Yakima or on the other side of the Cascade Mountains. So it's kind of difficult. Like they don't have a market um, right in Yakima, like a, a large market to sell to. So if you directly connect those places or you provide subsidies to the local farmers, um, to set up their own farm stand, et cetera. The, those kinds of things would make it a lot easier. So your top three policies are enshrining the rights of earth in the constitution, levying an income tax in Washington and sorting out the agricultural system. Those are great, very worthy policies. Um, and I think they speak to, I mean, the income tax is just wild that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly the other two really speak to this vision of, you know, uh, a different kind of world. So let's talk about that as well. I mean, we were talking at the beginning about the fact that, you know, we cannot just continue. Uh, we cannot consume our way out of an overconsumption problem. That was your line, which was very good. Um, the correlation between GDP and energy use, the fact that, you know, our economy sim cannot simply keep growing. Um, that even a renewable economy has negative environmental impact because of the mining. We don't know where we're getting our minerals from. Often when we do, it's through, you know, very exploitative and extractive practices. So with that in mind as well, how do you, how are you going to pitch sort of degrowth in a sense, even if you're not coming in with like some major degrowth policies yet? How are you going to pitch this to the American people? Because the American people are the biggest consumers on the planet um, and are struggling yes. to grasp that they can't consume their way out of an overconsumption problem. I'm not the first person to have said it, but 
Degrowth is a terrible name. Oh, um, God. <laughs> what, hang on. What day is it? February. February 1st. February 1st. God, can't you? <laughs> At least nobody said it to me in January. I managed to get through the whole month of January without somebody saying that to me of 2024. But there we go. Right, that's 2024 marked by D. Roth's a bad name. Right, okay, let's keep going. I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> um, as soon as I talk to somebody in Washington, I talk to a lot of cons computer science people. They're like, D. Roth, what do you mean, hunter-gatherer? I'm like, no, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean at all. Um, to me, D. Roth is policies that are truly sustainable, that care about whether or not the resources that are being extracted can be regenerated within our lifetimes, whether or not the life that's there is still supported or whether or not it's being decimated. And that care not just in the immediate surroundings, but also in the global impacts as well. That is degrowth. Does that mean, and a lot of what that leads to is a lot of less energy consumption because the current levels of energy consumption are enabled by cheap fossil fuels that we're pulling up out of the ground, which besides from the environmental impacts are also finite. Does that mean going back to hunter gatherers? No, because we've through our cheap energy kind of civilization subsidy, we've developed an insane amount of knowledge about our surrounding worlds. And that doesn't just disappear um, when you stop consuming more energy. We won't forget the technologies needed to make an engine. We won't forget the technologies needed to develop medicines. Does that mean they'll become more precious because we're spending less energy? Maybe. Um, but at the same time, when we simplify supply chains, it might make those technologies and the development of them more robust. Because right now they're wrapped in global supply chains that if somebody sneezes, there's a six-month delay in your in your semiconductor fabrication or mm -hmm. whatever it is i mean yes but also a huge part of the and it shouldn't be reduced to carbon but the carbon budget for example is taken up by the elite class i mean the global carbon budget uh for 2030 73 percent of that is going to be used by millionaires Mm. You know, so this yeah. is also a class problem. Please go on. It is, it is, it is. Um, and I think that's that's why giving rights to the earth is so important to me because that is a, sh a power shift. So it takes a lot of the burden off of the everyday people because it disempowers multinational companies that are using up the carbon budget, like you mentioned, and, and the billionaires that run them. What degrowth is not is an austerity policy on working class people um and working class people that already use less energy mm -hmm. it doesn't look like a whole lot of change the other reason that this is very important to me having a, a foundation in the constitution is that it doesn't mean that chayden becomes governor and starts being an eco dictator for the day it means that local people can decide like this is hurting my environment near me and i want to challenge that in courts and i don't I or anybody else doesn't have to be the one person deciding that this is a good climate policy and this is a bad climate policy because it looks so different in so many different parts of the world. It lets these local communities decide what is and isn't hurting them um, and their ecosystems. Great.
and thus kind of like re-embedding the citizenry in the natural ecosystem rather than just sort of in the ecosystem of governmental bureaucracy, um, mm -hmm. which does not run the world really when you look at it but i mean you know the ecosystems run the world guys that's what i mean no big con <laughs> conspiracy theory <laughs> the deep state ecosystem oh god <laughs> oh it's not yeah no <laughs> okay so essentially what i'm hearing is that you think enshrining the rights of the earth and the land and nature in the constitution to be protected in the same way that we protect uh, sovereign individuals would serve the purpose of essentially tackling the degrowth problem or the degrowth question, not problem, sorry. Um, because through that piece of legislation, it would become much harder to extract from the earth, much more difficult to exploit the earth. We would have to become uh, more particular about the kinds of things that we were using. We would have to recognize sort of the, the finite nature of a lot of these things, recognize the precious nature of a lot of these resources and begin to prioritize as a citizenry. What is it that we are willing to do? What is the impact that we are willing as well to, to receive in a sense or to suffer from? Because as we harm our ecosystems, as you say, there are impacts on our local environments. Um, and thus begin to like reshape our relationship to, to the world. Yes. Yeah. And thank you for summarizing my thoughts so nicely. Um, <laughs> I would, I would add on to that, I guess, to drive the point home. So I meet a lot of degrowth people and they all have patches on their pants. And I am also one of these people that has patches all over some of my beloved pants that I refuse to get rid of. <laughs> when somebody patches their pants, the GDP of wherever they are located that does not go up. It's not rewarded whatsoever. It doesn't help any company. It doesn't help Levi's. It doesn't help whatever. Nobody bought anything. Nobody sold anything. But that person fixed their pants and they don't have to use more resources from the earth to get new pants. So from the perspective of the earth, this is a win. From the perspective of capitalism, this is an utter loss and we should be advertising far more heavily to mm. get this person to consume more shit. Mm -hmm. This is why we need something that recognizes, I mean, economists talk a lot about externalities and all right, let's just tax the things that we're not accounting for. But again, this is a solution that requires somebody to evaluate every single decision and say, oh, that wasn't accounting enough for the environmental toll here and there. And we need to ta put some monetary value on how much resources were lost there. And it's just far more easier to distribute that among people and say, here you go. You have the power to tell us like how this is hurting you and how much it costs you and your environment around you. Wonderful. Well, Chetan, thank you so much. This is just, I'm so thrilled to see someone like you going for a position of power in order to try and do some good. Well done. Good for you. Now tell us, uh, when is the vote? How do people vote? Um, and all of that pertinent information, do they need their ID card? Is it in person? Like, let's get all of this. Let's do the admin here. Okay. Fantastic. Um, Washington has a top two primary system for governor. What that means is that there is one vote in August, on August 6th, but you can vote before then um, because Washington has a robust mail-in system. 
So you should get a, a ballot in the mail. Then you select your top choices for candidates for governor. The top two people from the August primary that get the most votes then advance to the, the general election in September. Those two people will be the people that debate and get a lot of news coverage, et cetera. Up until that point, it's going to be kind of a free for all. <laughs> um, August is when you need to think about voting. You should get a ballot in the mail. Um, my name's Chayton Inman, and you should see my name on it. <laughs> Ticket. <laughs> all right, Chayton, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. It was a pleasure speaking with you. If you want to learn more, I've put links to everything over on planetcritical.com where you can subscribe to support this podcast and read the weekly newsletter inspired by each interview. If you liked this episode, leave a review and share it far and wide. If you loved it, choose a paid subscription at planetcritical.com to join the community. As always, my deepest thanks to that community. Planet Critical wouldn't exist without your support. Thank you everyone for listening and for coming on this journey together. 